Hello, and welcome to More at Stake, the family business podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Rankert thomas A little later on, I'm going to be joined by my associates, Nathaniel Squires and Meredith Strait. We know that these have been challenging and anxiety-producing times for business-owning families. In just a matter of weeks, the novel coronavirus has altered our daily lives, and we're likely to feel these reverberations for many months and perhaps even years into the future. At Engaged Ownership and Rankert Thomas Consulting, everything we do is underpinned by the understanding that business-owning families hold and generate value that goes well beyond what is represented on their balance sheets. A family's core capital includes its financial capital, yes, but also its human capital and its enterprise capital. Taking this broad view means that business-owning families have greater wealth and more at stake than money. The lessons of core capital are valuable to families at many times, but we know that they're especially critical now. We hope that taking the time to think about your core capital in all its forms will help to guide the tough decisions that may be ahead for you. So, what is core capital exactly? Core capital is all the forms of capital in the business and in the family. And every family business has three types of capital at work, or at least that's how we think about it. Not just financial capital, but human capital and enterprise capital. These together are your family's and your business's core capital. Remember that core capital, just like financial capital, that isn't deployed thoughtfully risks being wasted. And remember, too, that you have core capital outside as well as inside the business. So what exactly, I mean, you know what financial capital is. It's money and equivalents, and it would certainly include the income and distributions from your business and its liquid assets as well as its illiquid assets, and also money and assets outside the business. Part of what got us thinking about this is the PPP loans that are being offered right now and how that financial capital might be put to work in ways that actually can secure your other forms of capital. So then what is human capital? Think about this as a collection of capital, social and relational. Um, It includes your abilities and talents, your employees' ability and talents those of your customers, and those of your suppliers. It includes intellectual capital like education and training. And really importantly, as we'll see in a little bit, the values, habits, and attitudes that we all bring to our work and to the business. So then what is enterprise capital? Enterprise capital is what happens when you combine human capital and financial capital to solve a problem. Family businesses are full of enterprise capital, and it is enterprise capital that is the bedrock of future entrepreneurial entrepreneurial activities. And when you begin to see enterprise capital and you begin to think about how it's formed, you begin to recognize the resilience and strength, and as we sometimes say it, the capital ability of family businesses. Today, though, we're going to focus on the real core and bedrock of core capital, which is human capital. And 
all these forms of human capital that together can add tremendous value to your business and that are also at some risk as businesses lay off folks, furlough folks, try to to sustain their financial capital. We've been talking with our clients and colleagues and following the press to find stories of how human capital is really transforming family businesses that are have been facing struggles during these times. And I sat down with Meredith Strait and Nathaniel Squires of Ranker Thomas Consulting to talk about it in more depth. Hello, Meredith, and hello, Nathaniel. Nice to be with you today, Amy. Good to see you, Amy. So you guys have been really following the press in particular, and I know that you've found three stories that you think are particularly good examples of how businesses are using their human capital um, in a transformative way. So, Meredith, what are you seeing? One of the articles I was reading this week was looking towards Asia as a view of how restaurants in the U.S. might start to reopen. And they were pointing out not only are we probably going to be further apart and perhaps with masked waiters and more disinfecting between guests, but also that trust plays a really large part in who diners will go back to once they start to be able to. And you have to know that the places you're deciding to spend time in public are going to take care of you. Um, And I was really struck by this quote by one of the partners at Yardbird, which is an upscale restaurant in Hong Kong. Her name is Lindsay Jing. And she was saying, if you've managed to build a brand and built and cultivated integrity, people will trust you when you're allowed to open again. You know, I really think, Amy, that the people and the restaurants we're going to be spending time with as we start to reopen are those we feel comfortable around, not just whose food might be the yummiest. Oh, I think that's a really interesting example, Meredith, and it suggests the importance of relationships, that maybe you're not looking so much for efficient fast food as you are for food that comes with a relationship you trust, perhaps? Definitely, definitely. Absolutely, and I think trust is a, is a big part of this next example that I've read about, um, about a brewery in Athens, Georgia, actually my hometown, you both know. And it's called Creature Comforts. And they, as all food and beverage um, companies, are facing an enormous hurdle during this time. And so when, when the lockdown hit and their taproom, which is such a significant part of their business, was not able to be open, they went to their employees, they have about 100 employees, um, and asked them to get together and try to brainstorm some ways that they can both continue in business, but also to continue to support the communities in what ways the employees might like to support the community. Um, and the employees came back with the idea that they would produce um, hand sanitizer. So they figured out that they could repurpose brewery equipment um, and recycled beer bottles in order to produce the hand sanitizer. But then they also worked with local suppliers whom they have very close relationships with. This is a big part of their mission is the way they interact with their local community in order to source isopropyl and um, to begin to produce um, hand sanitizer for, um, for customers as well as their nonprofit partners. I think that really goes to show, Nathaniel, that values can make great business sense. Well, exactly. And also the value of going to your employees and seeing what great ideas they have. It isn't that the owners of the business have to have all the ideas and the employees just execute them. You go to your employee base and you have this huge reservoir of 
values and education and training and attitudes and relationships that you can tap into to really do completely different things with what you already have. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the extraordinary things about this story is that they've been able to maintain full employment um, and all of their 100 employees have maintained the same level of employment hours and, and otherwise um, as they had pre, pre-pandemic. I think that's a fantastic story. Meredith, um, you had come across another story as well that you wanted to talk about that's very interesting. Perhaps the most impactful story I read this week was about the National Telecommuting Institute, um, which trains disabled individuals who might otherwise be on supplemental security income on how to be remote call center employees and then make sure that their homes are equipped with both the broadband and the equipment necessary to make that transition. And the piece was really saying that A whole bunch of normal call center employees, people who are going in on a daily basis, coronavirus hit, companies were looking into remote working alternatives, and these individuals who were previously working in the call centers might not have had the broadband that they needed in order to take calls from home or the other equipment. And so um, NTI stepped in with their huge workforce of remote capable employees And it was really remarkable because I kept reading quote after quote from business owners saying not only are these people as good, if not better, as their in-person counterparts, you know, they really want to be there. They're really committed to having a job with them. And I think it just really goes to show that a different lens can light up different kinds of human capital that might be useful in any other time. Right, these these disabled people who had been kind of homebound and considered less valuable were suddenly at least equally valuable, only to discover that they are in fact better trained, more interested, more motivated by the job, and it created a whole new opportunity. And I suspect that 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 the institute will continue to be ever more popular even after this time ends. I think it's really important to that if we want to get value out of this period of our lives, we need to look for things that not only make sense now, but things that might make sense in the future. You know, I think the lessons learned during these really uncomfortable couple of months might shed some light on what we might be doing differently in the future. I've been thinking about a few takeaways from my conversation with Meredith and Nathaniel and some thoughts that we might lend to you all who are facing these challenges with your own businesses. I think the first is that PPP loans are important not only to ensure that there are payroll funds for your businesses, but they really are there to secure your human capital. And so shifting from thinking about payroll as a financial expense to being an expense that really protects and provides for perhaps your most important asset. So a couple of things in that vein. Number one, um, help to manage your employees' fear and anxiety, and frankly, your own as well. Um, This comes with being transparent and realistic about possible next steps. Along with that, find out what your employees are thinking about. What are they fearing? What do they need? Sometimes you realize that actually you could help them, that the things they're worrying about aren't necessarily what you imagined, but maybe something entirely different. This is a really 
important time to invite your employees to join in on the planning process. See what they're thinking about the short and medium-term options for your business. You can challenge them, too, to find better alternatives. Even if your employees aren't working in the jobs that they normally work in because of um, larger requirements that have been been passed down that, that prevent you from doing that work, think about what the brewery did in switching over to hand sanitizer and creating a new product with tremendous value and maintaining its workforce. You could think of this, in a sense, as capitalizing on all the social capital that your employees bring to you and making them part of your effort to transform your business for the future. We'll be continuing this conversation as we explore core capital and family businesses together. I'm Amelia Rankert-Thomas. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. You can check out all our interviews, articles, and resources on engagedownership.com. And if you'd like to go more in-depth with us, the Engagement Toolkit training is offered to enterprising families and their advisors. You can email us at podcast at engagedownership.com to receive our do-it-yourself materials and resources. And if you've got a question or an idea that you'd like to hear us address, drop us an email. This has been More at Stake, the Family Business Podcast.